Welcome to 60 Cycle Hum. This week's episode is brought to you by Gun Street Wiring Shop. Located in Bend, Oregon, Gun Street Wiring Shop is our go-to shop for custom wiring for any electric guitar, bass, or anything else you need wired. That is a guitar or a bass. That's right, Steve. They make wonderful harnesses. I've got one in my SG back there. You've got two harnesses down here. We're doing this whole like NPR vibe right now, aren't we? I guess. It's nice and smooth and relaxing. I'm having a great time. Go check out Gun Street Wiring Shop at gunstreetwiringshop.com. This week's episode is also brought to you by Yellow Cake Pedals. I'm wearing their shirt right now. I've got the furry and fried in my hand. I just completed a demo for today. Uh, Today being Friday, you're watching this on Monday, probably. Um, So go check out the demo for the furry and fried. It is two classic, well-loved Yellow Cake uh, circuits in one pedal. You've got the furry burrito mm. and the fried gold. I've fallen in love with the fried gold, by the way. It's a, it's a really fun oh, overdrive. Yeah? yeah. Who else are we sponsored by, Steve? We're also sponsored by, like every week, of course, Sinusoid Pro Audio. This week we're talking Sasquatch. That's their uh, speaker cable and power cable series. You need a speaker cable or a power cable. You want something that looks nice, going to last a long, long time, still has that 100 year. Lifetime. That's not a lifetime. That's more than lifetime. Yeah. I'm not going to be alive that's in 100 long, years. That's how long a Bigfoot lives. That's where they get the lifetime warranty from. Oh, 100 years. Bigfoot lifetime. A Bigfoot lifetime. A Sasquatch lifetime. How's the global warming going to affect that? Uh, he's just going to have to keep moving north. All One right. day they're going to see a Bigfoot fighting a polar bear in the middle of the ocean. Anyway, like I said, if you're looking for a speaker cable or a power cable, go check out what Sinusoid can do. They put TechFlex on a power cable. It looks super cool. It's so beefy looking. It looks like as thick as uh, Sasquatch's inner thigh. That's how thick we're talking. He's got a thick thigh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Go Sinusoid. check it out. Sinusoid.com. They make cables. And smiles. <laughs> I'm Ryan. And I'm Steve, and you're listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar buying, selling, trading, modding, fixing, breaking, reviewing, playing. Steve is fiddling with a pen podcast. I can fiddle with a pen too, you know. Yeah, but I'm always fiddling with pen. The worst part about doing these video episodes is that I, when I'm editing it, I have to watch all the dumb stuff I do on camera, like all the fiddling. Uh, <laughs> you'll notice we're sitting at a table now. We tried two weeks where we were just sitting in chairs, and I was just sitting there watching me swing my leg back and forth. Oh, I don't even time. know. Like that was so bad because I started getting self-conscious. So my left shoulder, now people are going to watch this now that I'm mentioning it. My left shoulder always just starts hurting after sitting in this chair for so long. Uh-huh. And so I'll start like rolling my shoulder like yeah. about, especially on the second episode we record in a session. We need the table to hold on to because it's such a wild ride. What do I do with my hands? Here we go. All right. We're doing video. Hold on. Anyway. <laughs> but also, uh, the table also hides our guts. That's true. Which is more that's flattering. True. That's true. No one wants to see that. Hey, guys, my advice to you, if you want to uh, look better on camera, sit behind a table. It's good, good advice, right? Yeah. Great advice. What's new, Steve? Um, I got a little update on my pedal board flipping. Because ah, you sold, got that big pedal board. Yeah, I sold two more pedals. Uh, I sold the... Excuse me, the Dunlop Crybaby and the MXR Phase 90. Now, I'm not surprised about the Phase 90. I am surprised about the Crybaby. How much did you sell it for? I sold both of them together for $90. 
to Kyle McIntyre from the Tone Jerks. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. It's funny because I, I Did he was, need a wall? Has he been looking for a wall? So what's funny is he, on the Tone Jerks, he was just talking about how um, he bought a wall that was like modded from uh, this, um, like a, from a pawn shop. And he bought that for $40. I was like, okay. I was like, so why do you want another wall? He's like, he's like, because I just need a stock one. Like, I need one that I can mess around with, uh, that I can mod. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so I sold him, I sold him both, both of them. Uh, he came over to my place. We hung out in the alley, talked a lot of trash about you. <laughs> That's not surprising, I guess. <laughs> Actually, the real funny thing with that flip is. Uh, I sold the. I sold that. I guess it's not really. What kind a, of things were you saying about? Me? I don't remember. We we're just talking about the space and how I'm not sure how we're ever going to incorporate a th- an, another like a third person into this. Oh, I don't know. Room. Well, if we had to, we'd figure something out. Um, we just need a round table and we put that person in the back. I think we do need a round table. I think it would make things make yeah. more sense in this room. Um, so the funny thing is, so I got that, and I immediately, uh, basically blew it all on beer. Nice. Um, there is, there was a guy and you on, didn't bring any today. I did not. Uh, and you, it'll make sense why maybe, um, well, I don't know. Did you see, did you hear about I got this? water in my cup? Did you hear about this already? My beer purchases? No. Okay. So, um, there's a guy on the next door app in my neighborhood who was advertising that he had beer for sale that I bought from him. Uh, he had recently gone to France and took a little trip to Belgium and brought back some West Vletteran 8 and 12. Whoa, nice. So I got, um, I'm told I bought four bottles. Uh, one of them I sold to one of my coworkers, like at the same price that I bought them for. But this guy was selling for $35 a bottle. Um, and they, when they have them stateside in like small shops, like uh, Escondido's Holiday Wine Cellar, it's somewhere like forty five dollars. Um, so you're getting getting to try something that you normally yeah. wouldn't buy for a price where you probably still wouldn't normally buy it. Yeah. So here's the <laughs> kicker. Here's here's what you maybe don't know about this yet. Okay, I don't know it yet. These are twelve ounce bottles. Okay. So, so a little bottle for thirty something bucks. <laughs> yeah. That's like a, not a pint. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you enjoy them. Yeah, well, it's supposed to be it's a it's a rate beer one hundred or whatever beer site uses. The I mean, if there scale. was one here right now, I would drink it. I'm sure you would. It wouldn't be worth it in in my. Yeah, you know. it's definitely going to be like a mood beer. Uh, depending on how I feel when I get home from this tonight, I may crack one of them open. Oh, did you bring um, one? No, oh, they're okay. at my house. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to try that out. But that's so I sold some pedals and then it was gone right away. Oh, well, at least in your hipsters and your avocado toast and your yeah, $30 beers, $30. I've bought expensive beer before, but never like it's always been like wine bottle yeah. sized beer. I don't think I've ever bought a bottle of wine that costs that much. No, I've never bought a bottle of wine that costs that much. I don't know. That's enough. some fancy pants stuff. I don't know enough about wine. Well, you know, bucks. you know, like the whole story on that, right? I don't. They basically you can only get it in Belgium. Okay. And, like, what will happen is whenever it's released, stores will try to get it in the U.S., but they can only buy, like, a limited number of, like, packs. Sure. Or, like, cases or whatever. So, like, it's not like you can just keep ordering it. So, it's an extremely limited run. It's one of the highest rated beers of all time. 
Um, it's made by, you know, it's a 500 year old recipe made by Belgian monks in a monastery. Um, well, I'm curious to hear what you have to say yeah, about it. After I'm probably going to drink it and be like, what, oh, huh. with, with beer that expensive, are you going to get very specific with how you serve it to yourself? Or are you just going to like pop the bottle and pour it down your throat? Yeah, I'm just going to chug it. It's going to be one, one gulp. <laughs> Steve is going to butt chug it. <laughs> I think it's pretty strong, too. I want to say it's like a 11 or so percent. Sure, sure. So now is the part of the show where uh, you Hi, ask Ryan, me what's, what's new. Hi, Ryan. What's new with you? Well, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's cooler here in the studio than it is, it is outside the studio. I went and spent some money from uh, our crowdfunding from the inner circle on and used air conditioner yeah. that I got on OfferUp. This is my first okay, time I ever cool. buying anything off of OfferUp. Yeah. Uh, so I was I just had been sweating to death in the garage and I had some demos I needed to get done. So last Sunday I was on OfferUp all day just looking at every air conditioner that popped up mm-hmm. and any deal that I thought was good, I would like hit the button like I want this, get back to me. And the only person that got back to me was for uh, I've got it, got his name written on in here. Gary G A R G A I R Y. Is that actually the name of the guy who you bought it from? No, that's the name of the air conditioner okay. that I gave to it after yeah. uh, the late great producer Gary, who used yeah. to screw things up. This here is on the also show. a producer Gary. It's a cool producer Gary, a, a producer of cold air. So we are in an air conditioned studio right now, thanks to the inner circle. Thanks, guys. Um, it made it possible. And I'm not just saying like, oh, it made it more comfortable. I'm saying it made it possible for me to get work done this week because I could have not filmed in here without air conditioning. Yeah. Um, I was in between job sites this week and every time I got in my car, granted, like this is stationary asphalt temperature. Uh-huh. Um, actually, so I was with my coworker at Ballast Point yesterday, one of my coworkers for a going away lunch. Okay. And when we got in my car... I, look, I was like fiddling with some stuff and I look, I'm like, man, this, this says it's like 103 degrees. And she I looks at me it. and she goes, when you first started the car, it said 107. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so like stationary asphalt temperatures in this area are like over 100 degrees. It's been ridiculous. And the humidity is intense for San Diego yeah. right now. Like The other day, the other day it was bad. like 85 degrees and like 85% humidity, which is yeah. insane. Also, uh, a few people wanted an update on the kitchen situation. Here at my house. It's worse. Last episode, I mentioned that I completely destroyed my house by leaving a faucet running overnight. Um, so I don't remember what it was like last time you were here two weeks ago. Every uh, The dining room was tented. Stuff was tented. That's right. Yeah. Um, the kitchen wasn't yet. Right. Uh, so after that, they ended up completely tenting the kitchen. Oh, yeah. There was still some of the laminate flooring and some like linoleum down. Uh, last week, last time. I don't think there was any laminate down when I was over there. It last. was all concrete? It was all concrete or like okay. really old so linoleum. they had to tent the entire kitchen uh, because there was asbestos in the original linoleum flooring and in the drywall that needed to get removed. So there was an abatement team here for like a week Jeez. taking everything out. And then a few days later, the president makes asbestos legal again. Yeah. Should have just waited a week. Hey, it's a lot. It's, it's MAGA, dude. Make asbestos great again. Make asbestos great again. <laughs> we could have been breathing in that sweet, sweet freedom dust. Instead, uh, the abatement team kept it from us like a bunch of selfish jerks. Uh. 
So, anyways, the state of the well, I mean, technically, you they didn't just keep it from you. They kept you, it all to themselves. You paid them to keep oh, it gosh. from you. The insurance paid paid them okay, to keep it from ins- me. So, anyways, uh, but you paid the insurance. They uh, they stripped out all the affected drywall and replaced it and painted it all back up. Uh, we had a conversation with the cabinet guy a few days ago, okay. so the ball is rolling on getting stuff back together. Cool. Um, we'll are you see. gonna have? Are you gonna be able to get the same like cabinetry down below that? You That's have? the question. Because all I noticed all your lower cabinetry. Well, really, all that's left of your lower cabinetry are the the uh, vertical supports, right, for your countertop. Yeah. Um. So the the cabinet guy says that he charges thirty percent more to match things and rebuild things that have been removed <laughs> than to just completely like start over, right? Like remove what's existing and build a whole new. So basically, unit. it would be cheaper for him to just put. There's maybe like twenty percent of the cabinetry left, right? And the parts that are well, left, all the need- top cabinetries, is that the top's okay? So- the island bar is is jacked up. So they need to redo the island bar too. And there's a bunch of stuff that needs to get repaired that would be left. So he was looking at it like, I'm going to pitch the price of what it would be to to rebuild what's left. And then they're going to ask me, the insurance company is going to ask him what would be the price just to start over. And he's he's like, I think they're going to take that. Hmm. So we're probably going to get all new cabinets. Fancy. Which my wife is very excited about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to get all new floors, all new cabinets is uh, the thought right you now. You know what your what's new should have been? What? Pregnancy desk. Oh, my gosh. You know that that's not real, right? It's not? You don't, be- you don't remember I this? want that to be real. Okay, so my wife has been. I showed it to my coworkers. They're like, that's real. I was like, it looks real to me. That's because I'm good at Photoshop, dude. Yay! Uh, so four years ago when my wife was pregnant with my son. She hit this moment where she was like, I'm so pregnant. My, I can't work at my desk because my belly's pressing right. against my desk. And I was like, I could cut out a, a hole for you. Yeah. And she's like, no, let's not do that. This is a temporary problem. I was like, well, let me Photoshop it. And so she took a photo of me like holding a, uh, a saw against a desk with no blade in it. And then I Photoshopped a cut into it. And so she hit <laughs> she hit that spot today where she's like, I think I need a hole in my desk. I was like, pull up the picture. Let's repost oh, it. Man. So that was a four-year-old picture that you saw today. <laughs> it's convincing when you see it, though. I looked at it. I was, like, I was like, well, I've never really seen a jigsaw like that, but I guess it could be a jigsaw. Yeah, it's like a handheld jigsaw thing. Yeah. A skill saw. Oh, it is, a, it is yeah. a jigsaw. Yeah. Or a skill saw. Yeah, okay. So uh, let's get into some actual guitar content, huh? <laughs> This isn't bad. We're 15 minutes in. Yeah. We've, we've done worse before with the off topic intro stuff. You know, I listen to some podcasts where I can't believe it. They, they get like 40 minutes in before they start to tackle the actual subject of that episode. You know, like they just chew the fat about random stuff for the first 45 minutes. I'm, I'm literally trying to figure out if you're trying to go somewhere with this. I'm not. I'm just saying that we do a good job, Steve. I'm proud of us. Thank you. Yeah, we do. Try to get there. Um, This first ad. uh, I found this. Was sent by Ryan. That's me. I'm Ryan. (laughs) Like 10 people will get that joke. (laughs) It it actually took me a second. Uh, This is a vintage. I'm Ryan. This is a vintage electric guitar. $5,000. What I have here is a 1962 ES345. I purchased it from a vintage guitar shop in 1975 in DeKalb, Illinois. 
Uh, it was rewired from... So when he bought this, this was 13 years old. Yes. This is like one of us buying a mid-2000s Strat or something like that. You know? My point is... Maybe that, a mid-2000s ES345. Yeah. My point is that when he bought it, it wasn't sacred. Right. It was re- rewired from stereo to mono and has gone through modifications. I once had it routed for a Stratocaster-type vibrato bar system. Then I changed to a Kaler vibrato system. Is it uh, Kaler or Collar? It's Collar. It's Collar. I, the guy's probably typing from memory. The clamp lock above the brass nut is a star clamp lock. Clamp lock. In 1983, I snapped the neck, but had it repaired. The luthier did an amazing job. And as you can see by the photos, this guitar has been played on the road a lot. Don't let her worn look fool you. She sounds incredible and plays extremely well. Has capacitor, varitone, and everything is still in working order. I know that because of the modifications, it's not a collector's item, but she remains a respectable instrument. Make me an offer. This is a tough one for me because I, I think I'm assuming the price is ridiculous, but he does say make me an offer. Yeah. Um, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I really enjoy looking at this guitar. The only thing I don't like actually about this well, two things. Um, one is that you have a close-up of is yeah this the 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 butt end strap peg situation is ridiculous. Yeah, um, it looks like there used to be a Bigsby on there, so some of those holes are from the Bigsby. Oh, okay. But some of the holes are definitely like, what the hell happened here? Yeah, that's right. This this uh, one, this two, originally three, had four, five, six, seven. I think the seventh hole is a giant, like, where something got stripped out hole. But there are seven holes, not counting the hole the strap button is currently in on the butt end of this guitar. Now, I think if you wanted to make this look cool, what you would do is... Oh, it already looks cool. Shut up. (laughs) Um, No, just this particular portion is um, mount to that strap lock. Uh, You'd have to get, like, a machine. Uh, I guess it'd be kind of tricky. Ah, no. Now, it might be kind of tricky. So, say you need to mount it to like a chrome plate. Yeah, I'd, I, vote, I just don't like all I these vote, holes. I vote for fill the holes and lacquer over them and leave it as is. This thing has an, this guitar has enough uh, relicking on it, like natural relic, for that to not be an aesthetic issue for me. Uh, let's talk about the, the cracking on the paint of this guitar. Dude, the cracking on the paint looks awesome. It is intense. This is the sort of thing that like, relicers try to accomplish and when they do it it just looks too uniform yeah and too mechanical where this just looks incredible it looks like some sort of alien snake skin the way it flows around the shape looks incredible the shape of the body and the randomness to it but then somehow it's still like consistent across the body and the little chips of paint missing here and there and just the fact that it's this like really rad orange color Mm -hmm. i'm i'm really excited about it this is a great look uh the the most questionable thing about this guitar is the hyper modification that was done to put a strap bridge into here yeah and then incidentally oh no just kidding yeah. So, oh, I put a strap bridge in there. Uh, changed my mind. The routing behind this is intense. It looks like it was a pretty clean so, so job. Th- so this guitar didn't have a, a Bigsby on it. It had a uh, trapeze. 
Oh, okay. That makes sense. So it, it'd still be like a similar Yeah, like a, four, like a four screw mount at the, at the, uh, the strap button. You got to jump onto the photos in the episode description, or if you're watching the episode on YouTube, you are seeing these photos. But the route for the strap bridge is just intense. It's so deep. I don't think it needed to be that deep either. They could have left a lot more wood intact. Yeah, it's... But it it appears that the guitar is sound structurally. There's enough wood surrounding it that it was not an issue. It's just a lot. That is a lot. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing dinging against the value of this guitar. Uh, not to mention the, the locking nut. I'm assuming that means you could never retrofit it with a standard nut again. No, this has some major reconstruction. um, Let me see. Is it like a a drop in thing that works? Let me see if I can find a pulled out a pulled. Sir. There's the nut right there. Ryan. Yeah. I'm waiting for you to send me a full body shot. (laughs) Steve wants that full body shot. Um, I wonder if this is still up. I, I have no idea what you're getting at. Because that's, I got a, that's of a nut. locking. That's like a locking nut. It's a. I believe it's above the nut. Oh really? I I could be wrong. No, there's no way. Because you can see the little edge of the fretboard right there. For some reason, that's I a nut, it, nut, dude. So for some reason, I thought it was just a lock. No, it's not behind the the nut. It's a nut replacement. But maybe you can remove it and fit a normal nut into it again. So, so the, but there are screws involved. Not that it really matters with this guitar. So that nut is really like, would be my other complaint? I really like that thing. Ugh. It's, I've never liked the way that they look. Yeah, it doesn't look good. They're basically uh, quick release uh, nuts are great for um, for uh, I can't think of a reason either. Bicycles. Steve. They should not be on guitars. <laughs> they are great on bicycle seats. Yeah. Pretty good for bicycle seats. I mean, the, the bridge and the nut modification are the things really ding this guitar that really have me questioning the $5,000 price tag. Yeah, so so that's the other Even thing. Even if it functions, it's just such a you know a hard turn this either sold, on the concept This either of this sold guitar. or it's just not on Craigslist anymore. Oh, that's a bummer. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that... I mean, because the guy has so much history for it, I, my hope was that he would not get offers on it and just be like, I need to keep this. I mean, it sounds like he's, what, second owner maybe? Third owner? The, so, I, mean, I don't he's know how many people. He's had it since 1975. That's a long freaking time to own a guitar. Yeah. I don't care if he's the second, third, or 14th owner after this thing had been used for 13 years. He's the primary owner, in my opinion. Right. He's the one who sure. did these modifications. He's the one who put all the love on this thing. Um, he's the primary owner. And he, I think if this guitar legitimately plays and he's still able to play it or able to see it hanging on the wall, I think this is something he should keep. How much? And, tell, you know, and let his grandkids decide what to do with it when okay. he's dead. You How know? much? At what, what price does this become interesting to you? Mm, that's a good question. Ooh. I mean, it's low compared to what he's asking. I don't know what a 62 ES345 normally goes for. I'm assuming it's a lot. 
but for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to go pull money out of the bank and go pick this up, it's in the low thousands. Like I'm talking like eleven hundred, twelve hundred. Oh, and then I'd have I'd be doing a lot of research into what these act like they go for stock and what like highly damaged ones go for. Yeah, so, so that's my initial gut reaction. But I would not be just flying out the door. I'd be doing research. So I'm trying to find anything. I actually didn't look on Reverb because I feel like this is a tough, like a yeah. I, you know, usually eBay has a little wider net, though maybe fewer solds. Um, there's a, a 1968 that didn't sell on eBay for 8K. There's been some other vintages, vintage ones that didn't sell um, that were like in the six, seven, seven thousand, six thousand. So I definitely think that at um, five thousand, this guy's still asking too much. I think oh, way too much. I think for this to be interesting to me, I would definitely say, um, I would say I would start getting interested maybe around three thousand. Yeah, there's only two ES three forty five listings on Reverb. One is for knobs, original knobs mm-hmm. for nineteen sixty two for two hundred forty nine bucks. One's for original case for three hundred and seventy five. Let's widen that search. Is that just for... Did you only look for 1962? I did. Because um, I would say... The, one of the things that you run into is that you do see... So here's a 1963 for here's 13,000. A, here's a 65 for 11 grand. Five. Yeah, so... Um, Here's a 68 for six but, grand. But that's the thing is, I don't but think... But those are cherry looking. Yeah, and I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if those didn't sell. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think some of those prices are, are kind of out there. Here's a, three, here's a 68, 345 in Sunburst in really good condition for 4,900. Okay, here's a, here's a 64 in cherry condition. Oh, no, cherry's the color. <laughs> but it looks in decent condition for four grand. Yeah, I I stand by my gut reaction of low thousand. Low thousand. Yeah. Okay. And I would still have to find a listing for one that was highly damaged. Right. To compare this to. Right. This has a repaired headstock, which means it's better than it was before. Like, even uh, if one was non-functionally damaged but could be repaired to stock, which this one cannot. Right. I would value it above this. I definitely think I've seen these... At least once or twice where somebody like completely stripped everything. All you're buying is like body and neck. Yeah. No pickups or anything. And it was like $500. Is this basically the BB King guitar with that Roto switch? I don't know if his is different in any way. I think his is different. Because I want to say his doesn't have F holes. Man, for... For the money these go for, for the new for for the ones in good condition, yeah. Why would anyone buy a new one? Yeah, the Gibson BB King model does not um, is a hardtail. It's actually like a specialty hardtail, um, and it does not have f holes. It doesn't have f holes. That's interesting. That's the BB King signature model. Interesting. Um, man, you can just. Here's a 1960 ES335 with a hardtail. It's a Freddie King signature for four grand. Yeah. Why would anyone buy a new one? 
Well, even the new ones, I don't think are much more than that. But that's what I'm saying. Why would anyone buy oh. a new one when you could buy a vintage one? Unless there's something about these guitars that I don't know. Maybe they weren't great or something. No, they're they're real different. I know 335s are the one that everyone wants, but the 345 looks fun to me. All right, do we have anything else it's to say like about this? It's kind of like an upper model because of the ver- Veritone. I don't think it's that people don't want them. It's just that they, they tend to be just harder to get. Or maybe it's like everyone knows the 335, so they right. search for that, so they never notice the 345s. Yeah, that's a pop. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I played like one of these, not this one, but something similar in Guitar Center once, and they're real, they're really different. Oh, really? I mean, like I'm, different how like a Rickenbacker is really different? No, like I've, no, not like that. Like just, I've never, I guess I've never played like a, like a, a current new Gibson semi hollow. Uh-huh. But this thing was completely different from like any semi hollow I'd played. Like it just was like super resonant and just very, I don't know. Like it's hard. My to, wife was just asking where her burrito is. It's just very, it's in the fridge. It kind of felt like I was playing like uh, an acoustic guitar that had like paper on under the strings. If that makes sense. Interesting. Yeah, it was a really cool feel. Do you have much experience with semi hollows? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So I don't I don't I don't really I have really, a lot to compare it to. I really want the pure Salem semi hollow that doesn't have Ethels. I think it's a really I don't cool one. No, if I've seen that one. Um it only comes in two colors. It's like black and olive green. I really wish it came in a lighter color, and I would probably do my demo guy begging thing for one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's a pretty pathetic thing to admit. Um, but I would maybe try to work something yeah, out. Yeah, if you can make it work. Yeah, it I, mean, work. I mean, we got all this stuff back here. It works sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, should we jump onto the topic? Yeah, this topic was sent by Austin Ganey. He says, virtual jamming in the future, like you and your band slash buddies, all Oculus Rift into a predetermined virtual jam space, garage, stadium, whatever you want. But the interaction slash feel slash sound slash lack of latency, potentially good enough to feel authentic while playing. But mainly about how you think tech will evolve for scenarios like that. So I guess the first question is like. I I think the tech is already there. Yeah. Just no one's put it together well enough. And I, I know there are websites and all our like apps that do it. But like I think that's going to become a thing where it's like you can just do it natively in Facebook. You know. Right. Uh, I think it would be a matter of like it's just getting everybody on the same page with like an extremely high speed, highly reactive mm. uh, internet connection. Because like a typical, like I don't know what what's con- do you know what the, is considered the the minimum latency for real time? Oh, are you asking me like that? I you, th- you think I'm gonna know the answer for any like technical internet question? Well, no, because like, no, I'm saying like okay, if you're recording into a, like an interface, do you know what? I flabbergasted that you would expect this kind of information from me. You've recorded? I've recorded. I haven't like live broadcast or look into that information. Uh, okay, well, because I know like the reason I'm asking is because I know like with wireless, like that's one of the things with the new X wireless and with the Boss wireless and all these different companies that are doing wireless is people always say like, well, what's the latency like? Sure. Like that's a complaint, been the complaint with like Bluetooth wireless is Bluetooth wireless tends to have like a noticeable latency. Yeah. Um, 
So it's and then you know when you're talking about like I'm send say I'm sending it from my me to you like remember when we interviewed uh, Jonathan yeah from Rogue Guitar Shop yeah and we slash, did it over the phone slash uh, I forgot what those guitars are called anyway um, TMG TMG yeah um, and we did over the phone and like I could hear you in the other room and then yeah. like a full like. I don't know, like 250 milliseconds later, I would hear you in my headset just enough for me to be like, what in the world? It was, it was hard for us to do. And it's kept us from doing things like that again. Yeah. Um, so, so what does, let's not talk about the technology okay. required for you to have a virtual meetup band scenario, say mm-hmm. like a three or four piece. What does the user experience look like for you? Minimum to be able to have it be functional? Um, I think you'd have to be able to see the other people. Is resolution important to you? Like if it was, it was just like super low resolution, uh, like for like sub 480, but you could see real quick in real time, like the movements of the drummer, Ooh. would that be good enough for you? So you can see that, you know, the hammer's coming down on the snare. And it syncs with the audio, which is really low latency. As long as the audio was was synced together, like I think that I think that would probably for it to be super low res. I don't, you know, I don't know because I I think about I think about what would be functional, and sure that would be functional, but then I also think like what are like my actual demands? But also like you have to think that that's an added thing for each member to have to set up, just have to set up video on their side. I think in the case of the drummer, the drummer's a really good person to, for everyone to be able to watch. Yeah. I know it's a, uh, a trope and a joke that the lead guitarist is always turning around and looking at the drummer and what can we do to get them to stop doing that? Well, and I think that kind of rolls into like, to like what Austin is saying is like, what if like, so in his scenario, he's saying like, you're putting on like a virtual reality headset and all of a sudden, you're all dropped into a predetermined space, hmm. right? So that's like his scenario is like, okay, say I'm at my house, and you're. Oh, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun for to do a virtual like, reality. And you're thing. and you're here, and it would you know, be like living in a music video. Yeah, it, 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 it'd be you know, playing in a music video. You throw on you throw on your virtual reality headset, and, and you, then people could watch you in virtual your, reality. Yeah, sure. That sounds like a blast. That's the future. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. I'm, I'd totally be down for that. The problem is, is you know where the, how this technology is going to get developed, right? Through porn. Yep. The, for me to get there, I had to think, what kind of answer is Steve thinking of? <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have to think, oh, what kind of technology would develop this? Because that would be the long way around to get to that answer. <laughs> I don't think it's a very long <laughs> way I'm around. Not, I'm not accusing Steve of being a porn addict. In any sort of way, it's definitely not. You're just making it worse. I'm making it worse. Um, no, but I think I think because it's like you're talking about like live stream, Steve like the porn addict oh, is geez. the episode title. I'm not actually writing that down. It won't um, actually be the episode title. Like when you think about like live streaming technology, where it's like I, even that, I guess is like like I just like I guess I'm thinking of like a few years ago. Do you remember like Omegle chat roulette? Yeah, yeah, like that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking of like that that kind of a thing, but like now you're it's being de- you're like we're talking about it being developed into something more the real functional I for mean, like musicians, I guess. I think the technology is gonna catch up faster 
than the musicians will because the real barrier here, we know the technology is going to catch up and, you know, because things are getting faster. And if you live somewhere right. where it's fast enough internet, it's going to be fine. The real barrier here is home recording setups for each individual musician. If, you know, you're playing with your drummer and they don't have the kit mic'd up oh. well, like it's not going to be a decent experience for you. I, you know, I'm sure there's a minimum barrier there. Like, you know, I mean, two condensers hanging over the whole kit is probably fine for practice, but it wouldn't be good for performance. The flip side of that, though, is, you know, if you're really wanting to like key in virtual performance, what does it take to get like a a mix, a stripped down version of, say, like a roll in? TD electric kit. Sure. But say you take that kit, but now instead of like having to have the controller with all of this information, you get the, you know, the TC electronic version of that where you just download the drum print that you want. Sure. And so now like, oh, I'm doing a Zeppelin cover, going to dial in that, uh, yeah. that 70s Ludwig Acrolyte kit. I mean, it all comes down to like what compromises people are willing to deal with. Right. Um, even with the guitars and the vocals and things like that, you have to compromise with your interface or how you're mic'd and how you're experiencing the rest of the band through this virtual experience. Mm-hmm. And it'll be very interesting to see if something like this becomes uh, a mainstream solution. Uh, we got this this ad sent to us, yeah. which, which connects to this. So it's going to be a four-ad episode incorporating this with a of topic. A sort. This was sent by David Luna. And um, it is a book. There's a ton of text yeah, I'm, here. I'm going to jump around to kind of keep it tied in. Let's just give uh, like a like a like a overview. So, yeah, of the so this is somebody it. saying uh, it says uh, so basically the long and short of it all. Uh, that's that's directly from the ad. Uh, I want to start an all queer member band. I play drums and I have a potential female lead vocalist, but still looking at other vocalists. Bonus if you play an instrument as well. Um, so basically, because this person says um, she says uh, one of the ask is uh, is. To have the same burning passion to play, da 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 da. Obviously, the other ask is you are as you are a queer musician anywhere on the LBGTQ plus spectrum. I'm a trans one myself, da 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 da. So one of the things that they say is, so I live finally the logistics. So I live in Wyoming, uh, which means I don't have a lot of options up here for this opportunity. So that's why I'm looking everywhere I can. So David, I think actually lives in New Mexico, right? Um, and basically, they say, uh, we can make this work and just be effective as a band, even if we work online, Skype, email, Facebook, etc. I figure anytime we can't get together, we can chat about songs we want to work on, uh, record slash stream out practices. And then when the opportunity presents itself, we'll come together come together to jam when we can. After a lot of hard work and dedication, yeah. I figure we can, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So basically, you know, it's kind of a thing where you are trying to develop an entire band and have remotely. a somewhat banned experience remotely. I've known people who have done this. I mean, it is. I mean, this is completely possible in this day and age. I, I've got this thing back here that that just arrived this past week. Uh, I got connected up with uh, one of the guys from Isotope in Germany uh, at uh, Gearfest, and they sent me the Spire. You could totally run a remote band if you all have one of these things. Um, because you can record super easy with it. 
your parts and then send the file super easy to your bandmates and then they can record over it and you can send a file back and forth and really hash out a song with one of these things really easily. I spent about an hour recording with it the other night while watching TV with the headphones on Hmm. and it's like, did you have the headphones on for the TV or the headphones on for for this, for for the Spire, but you can set tempo with a click track in there. So everyone's on the same page and stack tracks and edit tracks and stuff like that. And so if everyone in this band that she's trying to put together had something like this, it would be super easy to spitball songs and work on songs. It would be easier than what you do for a band that you can meet up with. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and and like I said, I've known people who have kind of done it via email where like someone will be like, hey, I play guitar. Sure. Uh, I've got this thing. And like, so they'll send you like the guitar track that they've recorded using a click. So it's all in time. And then they just send it to you and maybe they'll say like, oh, uh, here's the tempo. So you can like line it up on your own. And um, usually it's like a guitar player. And they're like, oh, anyone out there play bass? I'm going to send you this guitar track. Drop some bass on it. And oh, hey, anyone out there, drummer, this and that and whatever. Um, And then, of course, um, more, I guess maybe, uh, not maybe, a lot more widely known, um, the the long ago death cab for cutie side project, the postal service sure. was literally um, Ben Gibbard from death cab for cutie. And I don't remember what the guy's name, but he was from an electronic music. Um, uh, this group called, or maybe it was one man. I'm not sure called Dintel literally sending tracks to each other through the postal service. Right. Which right. is how they got their name. So it's like, people have done this whole idea of like, I'm going to record a, I'm going to record a demo. I'm going to send it to you. Tell me what you think and uh, add some parts. So they'd like, he'd like record part of a song and he'd send it off. And the guy like, oh, well, what do you think about this? And whatever. And they would just send these tapes back and forth until they came up with complete songs. And then I guess at some point they probably got together and actually uh, all sat down in the same studio and, yeah. and hashed it out. It's honestly kind of a, a beautiful thing looking looking at this ad is that you have someone who wants to start a very specific band with very specific membership, which I'm assuming, I don't want to sound like I'm dogging on Wyoming, but I'm assuming would be very difficult to do in Wyoming. I feel like starting a band in Wyoming is already is problematic. It's already going to be difficult. There's like more people in Mira Mesa than there are in Wyoming. Right. It, it's, a, it's a challenging environment just because of the lack of population, let alone the very niche nature yeah. Of what this person wants I, to do. Now, form. maybe if you wanted to start a country band but, in Wyoming. But then you open it up to where are you? Are you anywhere and you want to collaborate on this? And the technology exists for us to collaborate and be a band without actually being in the same room together. Right. And it's pretty beautiful. It's pretty amazing. You know? I'm, I'm into it. And I hope this person finds the members that they need to work on their project and that it all goes smoothly. Yep. All right, let's do some housekeeping. Um, We had three people jump on and give us some support uh, since the last time we sat down. Um, Craig Breslin, thank you for your support at the $1 level. Uh, This is all through Patreon, patreon.com slash 60cyclehum, I think. And just so you know, there are two Patreons for us, one for the YouTube channel and one for the podcast. We're talking about the podcast one right now. The I U- don't even know actually offhand what the short. It's got a slash and a YT after it for the YouTube. Oh, okay. Something like that. Also, I've 
the colors are different for the different patrons. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, the the you, the YouTube Patreon is blue, and the podcast Patreon is the gray color. Right. Yeah. Um, so also, um, Michael Ponar and Aviv Chitrit. Gosh, we got some tough names this week. <laughs> um, both jumped in on the inner circle level. So hopefully by the time this episode drops, uh, I have you guys at least in the inner circle group. Um, inner circle gets some merch. They get into uh, the it's kind of the backstage Facebook group, backstage group. Yeah, you get to see all the uh, you get to see how the sausage gets made. You get to interact with us and help us make decisions. Uh, you are, you know, part of the democracy of the show as far as I'm concerned. If you're in the inner circle. I think of it as less of a democracy and more of... It's it, a theocracy. We as worship far Steve. As, as, <laughs> I was going to say it was like a, like an advisement team to the dictators. Okay, sure. But, you know, if you want to call it a, a democracy... Are they czars? Yes. We are, we are Obama. <laughs> Remember when, sorry to get into politics, but remember when uh, one side of the political spectrum was very upset the the other side of the political spectrum, the people in charge at the time uh, had appointed someone to be, uh, their title was a czar of something. Yeah, yeah. And now our current political system is very friendly to the type (laughs) of government that would appoint people as czars traditionally. It's a very interesting flip, wouldn't you say, Steve? (laughs) Uh, would I or wouldn't I? Would, I don't know. Whatever you, whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, I would are say we with housekeeping? I, maybe I would today, but tomorrow I wouldn't. We'll see. Yes, we're done with housekeeping. Um, Let's get into the next. I think ad. I would say. I think at this point, um, I would say if you want to support the show, definitely do it through Patreon because it's just a lot easier it's to easy. manage. It's really easy to manage. Um, and Patreon is a trusted source that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So yeah, and and you know if it's everybody on all sorts of platforms are using Patreon, so it's you can kind of yeah. do it all. At we one get place. the same amount of money, really, no matter what you use. But for organization, Patreon is the best for us right now. So they they just need to find a way to set PayPal up for recurring payments, where PayPal just sends ten dollars on your behalf. Yeah, that PayPal might be gift. harder to track, though. Like, Patreon really does make it easy for this No, sort it's of just thing. all of a sudden we're like, oh, this person didn't pay us. <laughs> Bye. If it told us that they stopped paying us. Uh, I, I mean, could see PayPal working that, out that some is, sort of like internal the, crowdfunding service. That is the upside of Podbean, is Podbean tells you when someone cancels or when their payment fails. Patreon does that, too. Uh, Patreon does not do oh, that. Oh, it doesn't? No. I get notifications on the YouTube Patreon saying when people change their pledge. When they change it, but if they, not, cancel, not if they cancel it, I don't think it, they, they notify you. That's interesting. Um, Whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. All right. This next ad was sent by Ethan LaFont. This is it a, sure was. This, we loved this ad so much that we actually put it into We both the, uploaded uh, it. Drive. What did you name yours? Are they back to back? I called it Weird Tuner. I called mine uh, the VU Tune. They yeah. are back to back, aren't they? Yep. That's funny. Vintage, weird ass guitar tuner from the ancient times. You did a better screen grab because you got a picture of the whole. You got that other picture of it. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Um, well, because I, I didn't know if you were going to see it. I wanted to make sure you could see how it was mounted. Yeah. Oh, I see. It's a headstock tuner. Uh, this is $42. It says, here's a totally weird guitar tuner from the 1970s. 
It attaches to your guitar headstock, and then as you strike the string, the little orange tabs vibrate when you are in tune. It requires no batteries and is an incredibly stupid idea. It is one of those technologies that we should all be glad when extinct. That said, it is an incredibly interesting and rare piece of guitar tech that we should all remember just in case you're at a party and someone says, you know what would be a cool idea? You can immediately pull this out of your pocket, shove it in their stupid faces and go, no, this is stupid. You're a stupid person and this has already been tried and it failed. In this scenario, you carry this around with you to a party waiting for someone to have the idea for this. Yeah. That's in, never going to happen. Incident, incidentally, this is how I attend most parties these days with pockets stuffed full of crappy gadgets and a bad attitude. This is waiting for people to bring up an idea for, like, they mentioned an idea for a gadget that you didn't bring to the party, but you've got it at home and you're like, ah, damn it. Yeah. I've got one of those at home. It's in great shape for its age, mainly because it's such a failure at being useful. It has lived its whole life languishing. In its original box, dreaming of the day that it could resonate sympathetically to a musical instrument and then immediately be frowned at disappointingly and then put back in its original box. It comes with instructions on how to do this, on how to frown disappointingly. You know what? Honestly, like tuning is probably the biggest problem that musicians have faced across the ages. True. Can we agree on that? I can't tune anything by ear. I can get close to tuning it to to itself, but I'm far away from having perfect pitch and being like, ah, oh, there's an A, yeah. you know? Um, I can tune a guitar to itself all day. It would be a lot of fun to have a display case full of vintage tuning concepts. I mean, you've got the classic, you know, tuning like the strobe Or like strobe tuners. Yeah, but even like my, when I was a kid, uh, the first guitar I, I learned on was my mom's acoustic you from have the a pitch 70s. Pipe? She had one of those round pitch pipes. Have yeah. you ever seen one of those? Uh, and yeah. Had, and I think we had one of the like the pan flute pitch yeah. pipe style of ones. That was what I was visualizing. At it first. would be fun to get a collection of obsolete tuners built up as like a display thing. You know, like some people collect shot glasses. Like that would be my collection. I'm really you know? interested in this just because like I'd love to I see, it, see how function. it works. Yeah. I, I'm really thinking like. Uh, is, how's it pronounced? Sympathetic vibration or yeah. synthetic? Sym- sympathetic. Sympathetic vibration. Like that's the concept that there's a ideal resonant frequency for a material. And when you hit that, it'll just go. Yeah. And it just, you can't stop it very easily. Or just, right. You know, it's like the concept of like Nikolai Tesla or Edison or one of those guys back Tesla. In the day, like tried to do it to a bridge, like to destroy yeah. a bridge by hooking up a like little if device. You could, if you could hit and the, I like try to find the, the resonant frequency yeah, of the if bridge, you could find the resonant frequency of a building on like its primary, um, support or whatever support. Like you could take down the entire building with just like a single engine. Exactly. So the idea here is that when you're tuning the guitar, when you hit just the perfect frequency, the, this little tab that's in this box that mounts to the headstock, would start just vibrating like crazy. Yeah. And there's six tabs, one for each, uh, you know, standard tuning string on the guitar. So it would be interesting to see if it does actually have enough resonance in the headstock to cause those little tabs to just go crazy. And how quickly you could tune a guitar doing yeah. that. I'm curious about it. And I'm, I believe the guy that it's worthless and a terrible idea. Well, and the gameplay implementation like is to, rough. Like, how would you know which direction to go? Also, it's like... The way it connects, well, you have to know at least have enough ear training to know which direction to go with it. Like, that's fair, right? But 
the way that it mounts to the guitar headstock is over the top. Yeah. Like, I think there should have been just a little clip behind it that would mount it directly pressed against the headstock. It's got this giant, it looks like a plastic, like a medical plastic yeah. arm that looks like you have to screw clamp it to your headstock. It looks dangerous. It looks too bulky. And it looks like it separates the tuning mechanism too far away from the headstock. Like it's separating it from the source of the vibration. It's just a ver- well, it's like, I guess it's assuming the plastic is going to vibrate along with the, the. Yeah, but I mean, I effectively, look at that kind that's of how plastic like, and I don't think resonance. That's how like any headstock tuner works, though. It's not, there's no microphone in a headstock tuner. It's working but off of. It has technology in it that amplifies the signal and, and sure. knows how to work off of that, you sure. know? This requires a physical interface for it to work. I think there should just be a um, a shelf for just weird things that attach to your headstock, <laughs> like those uh, sure. fe- like the Fender fat, the fat finger. fingers. So it would be a fat finger, a capo, this thing. A Are tuning, capos weird? A tuning headstock. I think they're weird. Bunch of perverts clipping things on your guitars. Capos, gross, dude. Keep it in the bedroom. I always <laughs> like to. Uh, <laughs> I have, have a, a headstock you have one tuner. over here. Did you spot it? Where is it? Oh, the capo. So, there's a headstock tuner on the bullet. I've got a I've got my Telecaster and I don't know what it is, but I always really like to take my capo I'll describe what he's doing. He's he's clipped it onto, and, and I realize like that's kind of the only place to put it. Yeah, he's clipped it onto the lower bulb on the tip of but, the telecaster but like, headstock. I always really like the way it covers up, um, like just whatever words are there. Like I always think that looks really cool. I don't know why. I get it. It's not a bad look. Do you like how I I called capo owners perverts, and then you pulled out my capo? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, I admit it. I'm a pervert. I think I think the other thing that I like about it is uh in my head it's so dumb because a capo weighs what like an ounce. Yeah. But it's like, kind of like that fat finger thing where I'm like, I don't know why, but like I just feel like my guitar sounds better when there's a capo on the You should uh, you should hot glue a bunch of quarters and like silver dollars to your capo to get oh my extra mass on your headstock. I'm surprised that's not a thing. A capo that has extra mass to it, or specific mass for the you know the snake oily way of pitching that it adds sustain to your guitar. Right. Whatever. Uh, next topic. Yeah. Um, this, so this is this a silly up, one. This popped up uh, ten days ago. I hope you're re- I hope you're ready to get goofy because that's what we're gonna do. Um, there we're is, gonna make some jokes, guys. There is a company. Uh, headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. It's located in the greater Nashville area. It's a in, part of the music industry. Uh, yes. Privately held company that is that is more than 10 years old. Is it well known? Has 1,001 to 5,000 employees. That's a big gap. Like, I feel like that should be more specific. And a 2017 estimate of $2 billion in revenue. Okay. That's a lot of revenue. Um. They are for a musical instrument company. Anyways. They are looking for a chief executive officer, a CEO who functions as CEO slash president, general management, operations and strategy. It sounds like you're reading a job listing. Yes. 
Uh, the known requirements are prior experience in a major consumer products company required, mm-hmm. prior experience in a recognized brand, including digital, social engagement, and e-commerce required, experience in acquiring and integrating complementary business preferred, private equity experience, including a successful, quote, exit preferred, music industry experience exit, preferred, huh? prior P&L experience with global premium brands preferred. What is P&L? I don't know. Uh, you will have nine direct reports. Pizza and, and lasagna. And you will travel less than 10% of your time at this company. I mean, 10% is still you know, a fun amount of travel. You get, get out once every 10 days. Yeah. Get out of the what office. What is P&L? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, oh, so, profit and loss. Okay. So this is a, a job listing, an advertisement to hire a CEO for Gibson. Yeah. Because they're looking. Yep. They, want a new, they want a new guy. This is great news, Steve. All right. This is see. what we've been wanting forever to get rid of the, the old well, so, boss so and get a new boss. Apparently, um, there's he, a music reference for you if you want one. Apparently, he is uh, on his way he's already on his, his way boss. out. Yeah. Um, like that he's a transitional. I guess he's like a consultant currently, something like that. So let's see. Prior experience in a major consumer products company. Um, I mean, I ship T-shirts. Is that are we major? <laughs> I feel like I'm more qualified than the previous CEO. Uh, prior experience in a maybe reg- not in all like the high business, like big business doings and coming and goings or whatever. But I feel like I learn on my feet. I could pick that stuff up as I go. Prior yeah. prior experience in a recognized brand. We're kind of recognized, mm-hmm. uh, including digital social Wait, engagement. Are you pitching the? Social Both of us, including digital, for the job social, as one unit? Not, digital, social engagement, and e-commerce required. Well, you know, that's two, us. Two out of three ain't bad. I, <laughs> we don't really do e-commerce. Hey, we've sold pedals. Uh, experience, in, yeah, that was not e-commerce. That was basically pen and paper. Um, <laughs> um, experience in acquiring and integrating complementary businesses. Yeah, because that worked out real well for Gibson in the past. That's why they're oh, in God. this mess to begin with. Yeah. When has it ever worked well for Gibson? They bought Epiphone. What other brands have they bought that have worked out super well? I don't know. Um, None that I can think of that are. I mean, what, someone's going like to comment. Baldwin, maybe. Someone's going to comment and mention all the brands that they own that are doing just fine. But it's like you think about like the record player company or like the microphone company. It's like these are novelties, you know. Well, I know like they bought Phillips, right? I think Phillips was is, but I think Phil, the but Phillips like, acquisition is part of what's tanking. Them. When they bought it, it was tanking, and then it continued to tank, and they weren't able to yeah. do anything with it. The only thing I remember ever from Phillips is their commercials from the eighties, like with the guy who was like trying to act like he was a like a brilliant genius, and like, oh, Phillips stuff is so smart. Look how smart it is. Basically, Dyson. The vacuum company stole the shtick, their stick from Phillips. <laughs> I'm a brilliant vacuum maker. Where with Phillips, it's like, oh, I'm a brilliant TV maker. So the, list, the listing on Wikipedia is uh, Baldwin Piano, which is probably doing okay. Sirwin Vega is probably doing okay. Dobro, Epiphone, Esoteric. I don't know what that is. Harmony Central. I remember actually when that happened. Oh, they tanked and, it. And everybody was like, well, that's the end of Harmony Central. Like, as soon as, like, because Gibson had to come out and be like, 
we're just like buying it for like the for like the ad space. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna like send in the goon squad to like scrub this side of all negative Gibson press. I don't know if they ever did or they didn't, but it definitely like killed the vibe over there. And every time I look at something that's been on Harmony Central, I'm like, it just feels like a ghost town. Yeah. Um, Integra. I don't know what really, that is. It sounds like a company that makes pills. Uh, Kramer. Kramer Guitars. Yeah, because they've done a ton with Kramer. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to see how like, Char- like Charvel and Jackson have kind of had this ebb and flow over the years. Kramer's just stayed as junk. Yeah. Uh, KRK Systems, which is uh, studio monitors. Maestro, which is Maestro Walmart is- Guitars. Well, Maestro is the Epiphone to their Epiphone. You know, it's it's a sub brand of kind. a sub brand. That's very kind. Yeah, uh, Onkyo, which is uh, home entertainment or like pro audio, not pro audio. What do they call that? Is it pro audio? When it's like just what is it? Best How many Buy are sells? left to read, Steve? Slingerlin, Stanton, which Stanton is turntables, uh, Steinberger. Uh, which is like interfaces, or is that the? That's ba- a headless no, that's guitars. Good. that's headless guitars. Yeah. I'm thinking of something else. Yeah, um, Tascam. Mm. That's a, that's an all right one. Teak Corporation. You remember those guys? No. Uh, they used to make like I know they used to make reel to reels. I don't know what else they've made. They have a bunch of legacy brands. Tokyo Electric Acoustic Tokyo Electroacoustic Company. That's what they are. Um, and Tobias, which is also bass guitars. Right. They have a bunch of legacy brands and a bunch of like small time brands that they're not really doing anything with. Yeah. If you if if you and I got hired as one cohesive unit. Oh, Onkyo Corporation is uh, also Pioneer. Okay. Well, that's probably doing fine. Um What would you do with Gibson if you became the CEO? Like what would be your focus? That pitch it to me, Steve. Do you want this job or not? I mean, I think the main thing that everyone has talked about is that the guitar wing needs to be spun out, like mm. back into because the guitars are profitable. Like despite yeah. despite what everyone like despite That's what the news com- says, complaints is, about, yeah, uh, you know, quality control and whatever. Mom and pop shops um, ruining the biz. <laughs> so that's Henry complaining. Yeah. Um, that uh, and that's probably why they're saying they want someone who has like digital like social engagement experience because clearly like henry j's interaction with uh it's abysmal with the media and with social media has been awful yeah and you know the crazy thing is that like and and maybe it's just you know something that has to happen no matter what every 20 years or geez i don't know how long has he been ceo um since like the 80s I mean, there's so, been some good so, times and there's, so been some real, there's been some real bad times in that. So in, here's, since then. here's the thing to consider. Um, uh, when Henry J and Berryman, I'm not sure who Berryman is because I'm not going to read that far, um, took over in 1986. Sales for Gibson guitars, it says, were below 10 million. I assume that's annual. Dollars or units? $10 million. Okay. So the, it says with, the company was within three months of going out of business when Henry Juskowitz and David H or when Henry Juskowitz, David Berryman, and Gary Zabrowski bought it in 1986. Um, wholesale shipments in 1993 
for an estimated $70 million, up from $50 million in 1992. So they basically had continuous growth right. from like the late 80s or like the mid late 80s up through like the 90s. So Henry J was part of the team that like turned sure. the ship around. But is it like, is it the scenario where, where like, oh, people are like, oh, we finally figured out how to get rid of uh, this major crime wave that's been, you know, cursing the city or cursing the nation. But then really what happened is that this generation of people who were natural criminals aged out of being criminals, you know, where is this a situation where the company was in trouble because in the mid early eighties, everyone wanted super strats. And then you get to the late eighties slash shows up in guns and roses. Uh, the, the, the taste for guitar skews to more vintage. Would you say that people took on more of an appetite for destruction? But I'm just saying, and and you shifted out of new wave during that time, where uh, pop music was, was shifted back to guitar and was less synth heavy. He uh, might he might have done business things that helped, but I look at that time frame and I'm like, I bet a lot of guitar companies that were producing classic style instruments were doing better during that time frame. A lot of companies were suffering, but there were definitely a number of bad corporate decisions kind of you know a lot of people say like kind of like the bad corporate decisions that have been happening recently yeah. you think about like okay so 70s uh, 1974 gibson is purchased by um or becomes a subsidiary of norland musical instruments um and that's when like the norland period is when uh gibson was like was went from being like a cool thing under like that's frampton era right 1974 right, right. that's the middle of like frampton fever is that a thing? Anyway, it's when, you know, it's when, like, you think about, you have Frampton, you have, like, Led Zeppelin. Sure. You know, like, Gibson guitar should have been flying off the shelves. Norland comes in and basically in 10-ish years destroys the company. Think about what else was going on in that same time period. When was the Gibson, like, RD, which is, you know, one of my favorite body shapes, but I get why it was, like, such a weird... Right. Um... I don't know when that came out. A I feel weird late 70s. Um, let's see. The 40th anniversary was uh, in 2018. Is that correct? So that would have put it out in yeah. 1978. Let's not, let's not cover every part of history forever because we're running long already. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hit every part of history. I'm just sure, saying sure. Like, think about like what, what they were coming into. Think about the Gibson Sonics. Right, and the Gibson right. Avenger well, and all of, of these like were garbage. Trying, we're trying really weird stuff in the eighties. Yeah, Fender, because Fender was doing it too, and because Fender the almost... market was so disrupted by synths, sure. basically, sure. and by uh, you know electronic music and you know hip hop showing up and stuff like that. The market was disrupted. Like people were making different kinds of music, and it took a couple of years for people to get back into making guitar music again. Right. I would say that um so like people were throwing any idea they could against the wall to see what would stick. And I get it. I would say that given that um I, you know, I know I don't know this for other companies, but given that Gibson the, the Wikipedia article is saying that Gibson was three months away from just being non-existent. Sure. That's probably more extreme than like what Fender was facing oh, sure. or what, you know, other brands at the time. And I know like, you know, when we talked to. Well, it sounds like they had 10 years of bad business going yeah, on. Yeah. I think, you know, I think it was when we talked to, uh, was it us or someone else I'm thinking of? Did we talk to us? No. 
talking to Bob Taylor where mm-hmm. he said like he kind of like just snuck into the into the industry at the right time. Right, right. Like he got in in this and this was that same time period when business was bad across the board for musical instruments. But it seems like maybe Gibson got hit a lot harder. Anyway, point being, uh, I think anyone who's coming in, they need to they need to put the ideas back in the hands of people who actually like have good ideas. Yeah. And I think maybe part of that is that when you're growing a business, like you can't, obviously you can't just stagnate, but you also can't, unless you're Apple, uh, force ideas onto your consumer base. Well, the ideas have to make sense and they have to be functional. Right. You know? And so, you know, Apple, I guess is like, they've been able to pull off like, well, we're not, we're going to get rid of CD player, like the CD player on your computer and the DVD player on your computer because USB is better technology. Right. Like, we're going to do this. Also, you can buy a CD player for like 20 bucks. Can you? I don't know. Yeah, a USB CD I player. I have not priced a USB CD player. All that stuff is super cheap. My computer still has a DVD player, and I, I just never, bought it like last year. I never play CDs. I never play DVDs. That's how I installed in TurboTax. You can download that. Yeah, but I didn't pay for it. I just oh, okay. got I it see. from somebody else. I see. Okay. Um, it was my parents. Do you think it's... Do you think it's important for Gibson to have a new CEO that is a guitarist or is that has prior experience in the music instrument industry? Or do you think it would be better for like an outsider who comes in? Like you can get a musician to come run the company and it'll still just be like garbage because they have their own particular idea of what Gibson is supposed to be to them. And they miss the point of what it's supposed to be for everyone else. The vast majority of the consumers where it might be better I know I asked you the question. I'm giving you my answer before I let you answer. That's fine. But it might be better if they bring in someone who is an outsider. I mean, Leo Fender didn't play guitar. He was an outsider. Well, he was an engineer. Right. But he listened to what musicians were telling him and made practical steps towards producing products for them. Maybe that type of person who's like, I don't play guitar. I'm not going to like throw my own like hopes and dreams into what a guitar should be and say whatever, what like what everyone else should like mm-hmm. because of my opinion. I'm going to listen to the team here, people who have been building these instruments for a long time. I'm going to listen to people who play them. I'm going to uh, shift the company in that direction because that's a smart thing to do with a company is mm-hmm. to make products for the consumers that they want. Right. Well, I think there's definitely a lot to that, that like whoever comes in, like can't afford to strong arm bad ideas. Right. Um, you know, I what? almost feel like all this nonsense that that you know the past CEO Henry came up with was him like trying to form some sort of like innovative legacy on his way out or something right. like that. It's like I'm the guy who invented uh, this new tuner style that's on all guitars for the rest of history. Yeah, and it was you know he just flopped on the idea Oops. like he was dreaming too big to leave a legacy or something. Right. Or here's the here's the you know the Gibson X. This is going to be the future of guitar, and I'm going to be in the history books with this one. Like, yeah, and it felt and, like that's what he was trying to do. And I think like certain innovations like that would have worked. Like everyone at this point, like, and if you've ever listened to this show, maybe that's not the sense. Sorry, I suddenly just got real tired. <laughs> <laughs> the burrito um, hit the bottom of your gut. I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before. Obviously, we did the 2000 Gibson 2016 spoof. Right, right. Um, we don't typically cover the news with Gibson very often because there's usually a lot of it. 
There's both a lot and like not it's like very every much. every ten minutes is another thing right. about them. So oh, here's have, another guitar from them. Oh, look, here's a bunch of like pastel guitars for five thousand dollars a yeah. piece. Oh, hey, there, here's an article saying they're going to be bankrupt. Another article saying they're going to be bankrupt. Here's an article yeah. that says they're bankrupt. I don't want to cover every part of that, but this is like, I think this is significant. So, so a couple different angles, a couple different things I want to say that you've kind of touched on um, is one. Um, to fi- to finish my thought on like the legacy, I, thought this, on I the, thought this was going to be a lot sillier on guys. the on the legacy <laughs> on the legacy brand uh, of like establishing his legacy. That's fine. Do it one instrument line at a time. Oh, yeah. 2015 was a disaster. Not because like some of the guitars I played from 2015 were great, but like I also couldn't figure out like as a person just coming in who didn't want to learn something new. Like I couldn't get the robot tuners to work in store. I couldn't manually tune them because it just felt so oh, yeah. like I felt like I was going to break it. Yeah. The rest of it, the, the fretboard was a little wider. I didn't mind that because I've never really played Gibson anyway. I was fine the, with the brass nut thing. The brass nut thing is like, like things like that. Like I don't, I didn't really have an issue with, but the fact that they decided like, we're going to put robot tuners on all, but three models that we make. And those models were all signature line models that were like four or $5,000. They finally did, I think, get it right when they took all of those features and put it on the yeah. high performance line, yeah, th- which is what they should have done in the first place. Manually turning those tuners felt like fighting against a, uh, electronic motor in a kid's toy like if yeah you're, if you're turning like the wheel on a remote controlled car the wrong direction the wrong direction yeah. it, it felt like fighting inside i i sat in their in their uh in their presentation space at nam the first year we went to nam or the second year or whatever and tried to get one of those robo uh gibsons to tune and it completely crapped the bed. And I tried for a while. Yeah. And would not tune. And that was kind of like what my in-store came, experience they was. They came to market with that across the board. Yeah. And it was like complete failures like that. It seems like every six months they were doing another thing that reminded you of how bad that was. Yeah. Because so, so they're to, doing a new bad so thing. So to actually answer your original question, I don't, think, I don't think being or not being a guitar player matters. Right. And I think when Gibson was first, and when people were first talking about Gibson bank, being bankrupt like two two years ago, um, the, I saw a few places where people were like, well, have you, of course they're going bankrupt. Have you ever seen Henry J play guitar? He's awful. And I'm like, I'm awful at guitar. So like, to Let me, me run the, the company. I'll do better then, than him. And then, you know, people were like, well, Leo Fender was an engineer. And oh, well, he knew what he was good are, at and this and that they, and whatever. Like, are they proposing that someone who plays guitar very well is also going to be good at business. Well, it's like I guess I know the, a lot of musicians. I guess the idea. Are not good at business. I guess the idea is that like um, that you need somebody who's like both understands the product, who understands the product, and they say, like, "Well, he doesn't understand the product." I'm like, "It's fine if you don't understand the product. Um, just make sure you listen to the people who do. Yeah, like, hire people that do, and fire know, them when they have failures. There you go. Weird. I solved it for you. Sounds like you're establishing a merit based corporate structure. Um, no, but, but legitimately, like if you have your design team come up and say, Hey, we have this idea. We really think it could work. Like, I don't know. Product test it. Like, I want to know is, I want to know if Gibson is product testing a, a $5,000 pastel Les Paul. Yeah. I, I guarantee you if they product tested the M2s, like everybody was like, this is freaking awesome. Like yeah. a $400 Gibson in crazy colors. Like we're in. Yeah. But I still want one of the strawberry pink ones. When they take those same colors and release them a year or two later as custom shop for like six grand or for whatever. like I think they were like thirty five, four grand, something yeah, like might that. Might as well be six. Grand. Everyone looks at it and goes like, "What are you doing? Wait, what? Like, 
And, and, and so, you know, that's, a, that's the thing. It's like, I understand trying to create hype. You're trying to create hype by sure. doing new fun things and whatever, but you have to do it at a level that understands who your consumer base is. Well, I just think there's, it's, you there's, can't, there's you, just been so many mistakes that anytime there's a little thing that's a little weird, people are like, again, yeah. again, you're doing a weird thing again. And you, it's like they could do weird stuff if their, their, you know, their core product range, uh, you know, met consumer expectations. Yeah. Um, and you, then if they could stay out of the news for a while for their finances and for other issues. Sure. You know, I guarantee consumer you consumer confidence you're in not, their quality control. You're not doing your marketing team any favors when you've got guitars sitting on the shelves at, at stores and, you know, your market research people are, are calling the stores and saying, Hey, yeah, we noticed, uh, you guys have had the same like 10 Les Paul standards on the wall for the last six months. Like what's going on? And they're saying like, Oh, this is what our customers are saying. And then your CEO goes on some like newspaper and says like, well, you see the problem is the mom and pop stores don't know how to sell guitars to millennials. Millennials just don't want to play guitar anymore. What you've missed Henry is that (laughs) those mom and pop stores are still selling guitars to those millennials. They're selling different guitars. Guitars are still walking out the door just fine. Yeah. And I'm because, sure I'm sure plenty of them issues are, with the Gibson. I'm guitars. sure plenty of them are a uh, two humbucker maple cap mahogany body guitars mm-hmm. with set necks. Yep. Fully possible. All right. Uh, let's get into the last ad and get out hey, of here. Before we do that, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Gun Street Wiring Shop. They sent us this guy. Super Rich Steve. And they sent us this guy. What does it say on there? Long live the cone. Long live the cone. I forget that reference. Oh, it's because I painted an ice cream cone on the on So the, uh, uh, I'm still, still trying to find some time to get those put in, and we're going to do some video work. Looking forward to that. Um, thanks also to Yellow Cake Petals, makers of the, the Fury and Furry and Fried. Ryan's it's a great double-sided uh, drive pedal here. I've got a demo up for it. There's a fuzz on one side and a drive on the other. There you go. And last but, of course, not least, Sinusoid Pro Audio Couture, makers of these fine cables. Yep, these two here. Got cables all over the place from Sinusoid. They're fantastic. You're going to love them. Uh, Sasquatch speaker cables. Beefiest speaker cables I've ever seen in my life. As thick as Bigfoot's thigh. His upper thigh. I'm not talking lower. Upper thigh or inner thigh? Outer thigh? We're talking about thickness here. It's the inner earlier and you the said, outer. Earlier you said just inner. Well, it's upper and outer. All right. Uh, this last ad was sent by Judson Zvek. Um, this guitar, you know what it reminds me of is uh, space. It reminds me of, of space? Like, like, like a space in a house or a space? Like space. Like, um, kind of like, I don't know, like kind of like a final frontier of sorts. Interesting. Um, and maybe voyaging. Is that the okay? This is obviously a Star Trek guitar. Is that the number of the Voyager? Because it says USS Enterprise on it. No, it just says the, space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the oh, Starship okay, voy- Enterprise. Okay, okay, I got you. Five year mission. Well, don't drop don't don't drop uh, names of other starships into this to confuse me, Steve. Like start mentioning like the Discovery or something like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is an Epiphone that's been styled to look like uh, like the Enterprise. I did not realize, because I didn't look that closely at the pictures, um, that this is actually 
designed to look like uh, the Enterprise A. Right, the the original. Enterprise, no, that's right? the second Enterprise. That's the second Enterprise. The second, the Enterprise A was the second Enterprise. Interesting. I believe it's the one from now. It's, of course. Well, let me look up. That this. is an A. That is an A. Yeah. But the copy says, "The sharper axe, adopt, don't shop." Star Trek Enterprise themed custom guitar in acrylic paints. This Epiphone Les Paul special has new life as an accent inspired by the Enterprise from Star Trek. Boldly go where no musician has gone before with rugged panel style paint job and the ship's designation on the neck and body. Perfect for kids. Fans of Star Trek The Next Generation, which was the Enterprise D. Yeah. And guitarists who love gray tones. The, not great tones. Gray, gray tones. tones. <laughs> um, perfect for kids. Fans of Star Trek. Uh, this guitar is rescued from a local pawn shop. We filled in the dings, applied some new color, and tightened up the wiring. Plays like new. Um, there are some dings. Yeah, it's the NCC 1701A, I believe. I mean, I'm looking at pictures of the of the ship right now. And I, I, I like what they did on the edges where they get the that gray line sort of thing on the yeah, side. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, there's some execution here that I have issue with. I especially for 275 bucks. Like, no, I thought it was just two. Oh, is it $75 shipping? Yeah. Which is kind of ridiculous. I don't understand what's going on on the front here. Yeah, they're trying to do this like metal plate sort of look by doing different colors of gray in different shapes. Um, And they're failing. It just doesn't look quite right. I wouldn't... Right now, I don't have advice on how they could make it look correct. I'm trying to look for a better picture of the saucer section. Um, But there's just a lot of elements here where the execution isn't quite right. Like, you can see some really rough uh, paint tape lines on the back of this thing. And that, oh, yeah. that continues uh, across the guitar. It's just, the execution's not great. But I, I do dig the concept. I would, I would enjoy seeing this concept done better. You can really see some orange peel texture and some rough edges from the tape on the front of the guitar. So, I don't know. They obviously got some sort of decal to do the, the lettering because it's not as sloppy as the rest of it. Um, but if you're in a Star Trek-themed band, I mean, you, you kind of got to get it, mm. I guess. I think my favorite part, and it's like a secret thing just for the person playing it, is the, uh, the big letters on the back of the head. St- I actually think that's... I, I really like that. The big ncc 1701 a across the full length of the back of the neck with the red stripes. It, that part does it for me. If the rest of the guitar was just flat gray, it would be enough for me. You know, it would be enjoyable. What do you think of the price of this thing, though? If it was 200 flat... What do these go for unmodified? Like, this is just... Like a, $100. Yeah, it's a $100 Epiphone. It's got two humbuckers, but it has the wraparound bridge. I'm not going to do any up... I, charge for the I didn't art on this. see like the close up of like how bad that some of those tape lines were. Yeah. Uh, so that's certainly bothersome. But far more importantly, um, this ship, uh, yes, the NCC 1701A was used, uh, where it's the ship in Star Trek 4, 5, and 6, mm-hmm. the films, and uh, in the Kelvin timeline, Star Trek Beyond. Okay. Um, so it's seen at the end of Star Trek four and then again in, uh, four, five and six. Right. Um, not 
in the next generation, but some nerd out there is going to say, oh, but they re- repurposed the sets from those films, 4, 5, and 6, to use as sets on uh, the Enterprise D for Star Trek The Next Generation. All right, guys. Thanks for watching, listening. Hey, hold this, on. This, this week's episode. song. Tell us about the song, Steve. This week's song was sent to us by Chris Carter, who hosts the Effects Loop podcast. Go check that show out. Uh, and this song is just called 60 Cycle Hum Mixdown. Uh-oh. He says nothing about it. He literally I just sent a file. have not listened to this yet. I'm wondering if that just means the song is mixed down specifically for us or if it's going to be about us. We're going to find out. Later, guys. Bye.